Well, good morning again. <laughs> I am Eric. I'm one of the pastors of the town church, Fort Collins. Are you hearing me through the speakers okay? Did I mess something up? I might have messed something up. No, I think we're all right. Okay. If I need to talk louder, let me know. I am really good at talking loud. Um, welcome, students. Tomorrow's first day of classes, pandemic year, right? We got like a woot out. <laughs> We'll see how it goes, right? Like nobody knows. Well, welcome. Glad you guys are here. With all the craziness here, my goodness, at least we know we've got a rock in who God is. He doesn't change. He's not different tomorrow. There's another fire, more pandemic. It, we know of who God is, and he doesn't change. It's a beautiful thing that we can rest in. So I'm here from Fort Collins. I want to let you guys know we love you from the town church Fort Collins. I know being in a season in between lead pastors is not always easy. We care for you all. We're praying for you regularly. We're spending hours with your leaders and staff to help navigate through this time. It's, it's certainly not, not easy. There's, there's unique challenges that we may, maybe never faced before. But my hope is also that you're seeing, hopefully through time, some unique joys as well. And it's certainly true that our belief in the gospel We've got some unique ways of living that out right now, don't we? Some ways that we may not have faced before either. Ways that w- where we place our trust. It's not in what we do or we don't do, is it? It's, it's in a steady God who loves us with a steadfast love. And how we talk together, how we treat each other, the things that we think, all of these are ways that we live out the gospel. And we get to do that right now together. It, 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 it's actually a really beautiful thing that challenges can bring. God's love is steadfast for us. It's steadfast. Through pandemics, through fires in the canyon. I smell like smoke right now from just leaving my house and being in Fort Collins. God is still steady with his love for us. It's, it's something that we know we can rest in. And this steady love is not only steady through difficult times that are thrust upon us, but it's also steady even when we create the mess with the aftermath of our own sin, your sin and my sin, God's love is still steady then. That's where I think sometimes it's most difficult to believe is when you and I sin and the aftermath of it. Does God still love me? Is, he, is his love for me still steady? Will it, will it go away? I think then it can be really, really hard to believe at times that it is still steady and that restoration is again still possible. It is still possible though, isn't it? Why? Not because of anything that you and I do, but because of who God is. Remember, he doesn't change. I want, I want to spend our time this morning drawing this out by looking at a particular psalm in the Old Testament, a psalm that deals with this, with the aftermath of sin and then being reoriented back into right re- restoration, back into right relationship with God. These, these psalms in the Old Testament, they're the, the poems, the songs, the prayers of ancient Israel as they lived life. Like, like the Psalms that we read, they are embodied emotions and thoughts and, and, and working out how life actually went. Like it's lived in the trenches, you know what I mean? So through the Psalms, you see ups and downs. It, it, it covers a vast array of, of the human experience. And, and part of what it covers is sin, its aftermath, and restoration back into right relationship with God. In fact, our Psalm this morning may be one of the most personal and powerful psalms ever written dealing with this topic. This is a topic that's common to all of humanity. 
and especially for all of us who are in relationship to God because we feel it a little bit differently. We're well acquainted with this, aren't we? With sin in this aftermath. Please, like, not nod yes. Don't, don't nod no. We're, we are well acquainted with sin in this aftermath. Sin is it's these attitudes, the, the deeds, the things we do, the things we left undone that actually betray our belief that we think we know better than God how life should work out. Think about this. We stop trusting God, and instead we trust ourselves to satisfy our desires. I think when you think of sin and the things that we're tempted to, most, if not all of it, falls in this bucket. It fundamentally, a lack of trust to God, and then beginning to trust ourselves to satisfy our desires. This is pride, my friends. And so we stop living in right relationship to God. Instead, we start to trust ourselves. It's pride. Isn't that how sin works, though? Just manifestations of pride in our lives in lots and lots of different ways. Not, not a healthy pride like I did a good job, but a pride like I know better than God how life should be lived. And this has been an integral part of our story, humanity's story, ever since the fall, way back in Genesis 3. It weaves throughout the entire Bible, all the narrative, and, and makes sense and explains the self-serving, self-abasing, self-seeking, self-glorifying, self-loathing, self-appeasing, self-idolizing, self-pitying, self-defending, self-focusing, self-gratifying, self-deceiving brokenness that weaves its tentacles all around the hearts of humanity and deceives us so that we actually believe in little and big ways and obvious and subtle ways that we know better than God how life should work. This is pride. And we stop living in right relationship with God and instead start to trust ourselves. Even those we consider the best of us still choose sin. Even a king in ancient Israel who God called a man after his own heart, King David, he still chose sin over and over and over again, didn't he? Now, just by mentioning King David and his sin, there's probably one story in particular that comes to mind right away. It's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 actually form the background for the psalm that we're going to read this morning. So I want to, for sake of time, I'm just going to do a quick bullet list of just one chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11, of all of the sin that David chose. This one chapter records it for like the rest of humanity to read. One chapter, chapter 11. David neglects his duty as king and doesn't go out with his men to war and says he stays home. David lusts after another man's wife, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. David sleeps with her. David attempts to deceive Uriah once he learns that Bathsheba is pregnant. David kills Uriah under the guise of a war tactic. And then David makes Bathsheba his wife. These are not so subtle sins, are they? This is one chapter. King David, one chapter. Now why? Why did David do all of that? Because sin caused David's heart to stop trusting God, but rather to turn to himself to satisfy his desires. For his desires in this case, we can at least say it was lust after another woman and then wanting to protect himself by trying to cover it all back up. That's pride. So he stopped living in right relationship with God and instead started to trust himself. But the aftermath, the consequences of David's sin were profound, weren't they? Do you remember what they were? We could perhaps sum it up in one word. And the one word is death. Uriah, he's killed. David's son who he has with Bathsheba, David's son dies. 
But that's not mentioned in the psalm we're going to read this morning. Instead, David drills down even deeper into a more profound and fundamental problem. See, David's right relationship with God suffers a death as well. I don't mean God abandoned him. I don't mean that. I don't mean that somehow God now completely severed David off and said, you are all now on your own. What I do mean is his relationship with God became crooked, became off-centered, became, became wobbly, like out of whack. See, roles have reversed here. And David, he's abdicated his role as a king under God's reign. Instead, he's assumed the role of God himself. That is pride. That's what sin does. And so David stops living in right relationship with God and instead starts to trust himself. And my friends, like, none of that escapes God's knowledge, does it? In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, God, fully knowing the tangle, the tangle of David's sin, does one of the most gracious things God will ever do when you and I sin. What does he do? He convicts David of his sin. He doesn't let David just sit in his sin. He convicts him of it. He sends the prophet Nathan to confront him and share some of the consequences of his sin. And then David confesses and he says this, I have sinned against the Lord. Now can you imagine what David must have been thinking and feeling in that moment? After all that he did in chapter 11, Nathan confronts him. He says, you know, right, I have sinned. What do you think David's thinking and feeling? What do you think and feel after the Spirit convicts you of deep sin? Frustration? Maybe, maybe that you sinned again or you did that same thing again? Maybe you feel some self-loathing, like how, how could I possibly do that? Or maybe confusion. If I trust God, if Jesus saved me from my sin, why am I still struggling with my sin? Or maybe you feel grateful, feel grateful that God convicted you of your sin, didn't let you just sit in it and remain in it and remain in this place of pride and with reverse rules. Or maybe you feel all these things and other things at once, or maybe they come through waves. See, I think we need the psalm we're going to read this morning desperately because we too experience emotion, we feel confusing thoughts, and we know what it's like to be in the aftermath of sin. This psalm is going to give us some good theology in that place. Right view of God, right view of ourselves. It's a psalm that David wrote right after he was convicted of the psalm of, of his sin. And I think how David responds here is a reason why we can say he was still a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that David never, never sinned, but how he responds. So let's read it. Open up your Bibles. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 this morning. This is a powerful, beautiful, deep psalm. You may be familiar with it. We're not going to be able to discover everything here. So I want us to focus on one thing here. I want us to discover how Psalm 51 reorients us back into right relationship with God after we sin, in the aftermath of our sin. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 of Psalm 51. Amaya, do you mind throwing that first slide up there? Psalm 51, verses 1 through 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now that sure strikes a different tone than pride, doesn't it? Like, where'd the pride go? See, God's grace clears David's thinking here, and as a result... 
the trust he's placed in himself, what happens? It just implodes. It crumbles away. His sinful pride has become undone. The role reversal of David taking the place of God now has been corrected. See, David has no leverage with God, does he? He can't like, twist God's arm into cleansing him. He has nothing to offer. So what does David do? He does the only thing he can do. He pleads with God to be consistent with God's character. He cries out for God to be God. He throws himself upon the mercy of God alone. He knows his only hope is in the steadfast love of God. The, the, the Hebrew behind steadfast love, it, it signifies God's covenantal love for his people. So God promises this love to his people, and David throws himself upon God's promises for this love. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. Then what? According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. In essence, David says this, deal with me not according to my character, but according to yours. Or God, stay true to the covenant even though I did not. Or perhaps we can sum it up this way. God, don't be like me. Be like you. <laughs> this is a stark change of heart, isn't it? There's no pride here. He's thrown himself upon the mercy of God to be God. David realizes the empty lie of his pride only leads to death. His only hope is to stop pretending to be God himself but for the one untrue, unchanging God to be the one true unchanging God. It's a renewal of God's trust in God to be God. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm gonna, I'll ask that a couple times, and head nods are fine. I really am asking when I ask that, if that makes sense. This is the first element, I think, in Psalm 51 that points us back to right res restoration with God, what it must include. It must include a trust in God to be God. But what is David's specific hope in trusting for God to be God? He pleads for it three times in different ways. Blot it out, wash thoroughly, and cleanse him from his sins. See, David, he's powerless to do this. He can't cleanse himself. Rather, David brings something very different to the table. Let's read about it. Verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 6. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So what does David bring to the table? He doesn't bring the soap, does he? He brings the dirt, so to speak. He brings his sin, which is a, think about this. It's a personal affront to an impeccably holy God. <laughs> That's what David brings. And that has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Just think about in David's case, all the destructive ripples with his sin with Bathsheba. Think about it. Bathsheba, Uriah, his general, the army, his family, the anguish involved, the, la the lost trust for those people who knew David that was involved. 
But here, David drills down even deeper. He doesn't even mention those. He drills down even deeper and realizes that the most serious offense was to offend a perfectly holy and good God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Is that what we feel when we sin? <laughs> like, is that our deepest sorrow, that we offended a perfectly holy God? It, if it's not, and oftentimes for me it's not, if it's not, then I don't think we appreciate the gravity of our sin and also how perfectly holy our God is. For me, when I sin, I usually feel the ripples in my, like, human relationships. That, that's what I feel. I often don't think about my vertical relationship with a holy and good God. So my response is incomplete in a lot of ways. But it's against this God, this holy God, that David realizes he sinned. And it is this God upon whom David is trusting now for mercy. A God who is very unlike David. Look at verses 4 through 5. There, there's some contrast here. A God who is blameless. David's not, is he? A God whose character is consistent with love. David's, he says, is consistent with sin. That's what it means by being conceived in sin. A God who delights in truth and wisdom, but David's sin showed that he delights in lies and foolishness. So, so, so he, here's the upshot. We and we alone are responsible for our sin. David didn't blame his male hormones, did he? <laughs> or blame Bathsheba that she was up on a bath, on, taking a bath on a rooftop where he could see. He didn't blame his culture. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame the devil. He didn't blame any of that. But rather, we alone are responsible for our sin. We can't get out of that. We are the one who sinned. So this is a key piece to believe in our right, right restoration to right, right, uh, right relationship with God. That we alone are responsible for our sin against a completely holy God. We alone bring the dirt, so to speak. Ah, it's kind of heavy. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's true, but it's heavy. But church, our sin is not the end of the story. Like, there, there is hope here. Listen to this. The, this is depressing. It's true, verses 3 through 6. But now the rest of the psalm give ways to, to plea after plea to plea to God. David now cries out and reveals that there is hope now in the aftermath of sin. Let's read them, verses 7 through 12. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. My friends, our sin is not the end of the story. David has tremendous hope. Why? Why does David have hope after he sins? Because in God's steadfast love and God's abundant mercy for us, he is able to, in the cries of David, purge us and make us clean. 
Wash us and make us spotless like pure snow. Give us joy again. Blot out all of our sin. Create in us clean hearts and right spirits. Remain with us even though we sin and give us willing spirits with right desires. My friends, this is our hope. This is what God can and does do. See, our our hope is in our God who does not discard us after we sin. You need to hear that. You sin. He doesn't just discard you. God does not just wash his hands of you and say, oh, you're too far gone. You're just too dirty to be clean. God doesn't do that. But instead, he's able to clean and renew us from the inside out. This is a work that God does. It's a work that only God can do. And so we rely upon God to cleanse us from our sin. This is the third element in our restoration to right relationship with God. It must include this. Relying on God alone to cleanse us. This is what David does. He pleads with God to do what only God can do, to actually make David new on the inside. Create in me a clean what? Clean heart. And renew a right what? Spirit within me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David can't do any of these things. He's at the end of his rope. You and I, we can't either, can we? We can't just try hard enough to cleanse us from our sin. We can't just work hard enough to cleanse us. There's no amount of penance that we can do. Penance, penance isn't a thing, is it? You can't give away enough money to cleanse you. You can't volunteer enough hours to cleanse you. You can't say enough sorries to cleanse you. David knows this. So he pleads to God for a clean heart and a right spirit. So he actually then desires the right things. But how? Put yourself in God's position. I know it's really hard to do. Try to put yourself in God's position. Like how can God possibly do this? Remember, he hates sin. How could a God who's perfectly holy and just just wipe away sin from him? On what basis can God do that? He can't just say don't worry about it. Remember, he's God. He's perfectly holy and just, and sin must be dealt with. He only has wrath towards sin. Think about that. God has wrath towards sin. See, David didn't actually know the answer to that question. He couldn't possibly know. He just knew God's character, and he trusted in God's character. He didn't see the filler picture for why sin is not the end of the story and why we can have hope. But praise God, we do, don't we? We have the New Testament. We know the why, or maybe we should say we know the who. Rather than punishing us for the sin that we deserve, all of our sin, giving us death, God decided to take action himself, and he sent his son Jesus to take the penalty that we deserved upon himself. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He gives us his righteousness for us. So when God looks at us, he sees us as clean if we trust Jesus to save us. Do you realize that? How messed up we are, if you trust Jesus to save you, God looks at us and he sees us as clean because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. We didn't try hard enough for that, did we? We didn't give away $5 billion and try to buy it. It's what Jesus did for us. It's a free gift to trust him so that we can be seen before God. Jesus took our place. He died the death that we deserved. And he didn't stay dead. (laughs) He rose again forever, crushing the power of sin and death forever. That's the gospel. That is the good news. That's what gives us hope. 
That's why we should be smiling right now when we gather in this building every week because the gospel is true and what it means for us has been done on our behalf. It's absolutely beautiful. God loves us that much. Do you realize he didn't have to do that? He didn't have to send us Jesus. He would have still been perfectly loving, holy, just, merciful, gracious, and didn't have to send Jesus at all. And we all would deserve death because of our sin. But he didn't chose not to do that out of God's grace for us. That's a loving God for us. And if you trust Jesus this morning, that is what has been bought for you. That remedy for your sin has been bought and that is yours. That's your reality. If you don't yet trust Jesus, if you have questions about what he is, this remedy and this right relationship is not yet yours. Rather than experiencing God's mercy for eternity, the Bible says that you will experience God's wrath for eternity. Because God can't just turn away from sin. It has to be dealt with. Sin must be punished. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, if you've got questions, l- let me encourage you just with this. Continue pursuing those questions. Don't let it just sit there and say, someday I'll get those important questions. Pursue them. I'd love to listen and talk. Other people in here, I'm sure, would love to listen and talk. Hear where you're at and hear your story. Pursue those questions. Because Jesus alone can restore us back into right relationship with God. I think there's also a tension here. So listen to this about the work that Jesus did. It's both a work that is finished on the cross so that those of us who trust Jesus are forever in right relationship with God, done deal, and it's an ongoing work that we, by the grace of God, become more and more the people God has saved us to be. There's both, uh, it's done, it's finished, and an ongoing work. The churchy word for this is sanctification, become more and more holy. Both of these things are happening so that as we become more and more holy, we should be running from sin quicker and quicker. That's the evidence of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. This is a merciful and gracious God who chose to save us from sin and to give us the Spirit. This is good news. So what should be our response to this sort of God? What does God's work of cleansing us from sin and giving us clean hearts that we don't deserve, what does it mean for us practically? Let's find out. Let's finish this psalm, verses 13 through 19. Psalm 51, 13 through 19. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be, then bulls will be offered on your altar. What will David do in response to God cleansing him? He's going to point others to the greatness of God. He's going to show others God's good character. This is what we do in our restored right relationship with God. God forgiveness of our sin in Jesus is not meant to only remain with us, is it? We're supposed to open our mouths. (laughs) 
and simply share that with other people about what he did. We point others to God's righteousness and goodness and glory. Sharing stories is one of the most powerful things we can possibly do. In your townships, your neighbors, your coworkers, within your family, actually opening up our mouths and sharing what God did. It's powerful. It's biblical response to restoration to right relationship with God. So now imagine, imagine that by God's grace, the stories that we as a church are going to have to tell in the months and the years to come of what God did in restoration in our own hearts and our hearts as a, as a community. It's powerful. It's beautiful. We open up our mouths. It's convicting for me. I don't do this well. I'm not up here saying I do this well. I don't, which means my response is incomplete. I keep it with myself. But when we, when we experience that restoration and that beautiful grace that God gives us, let's actually open up our mouths and share it with our friends, our coworkers, th- those people we're in a relationship with. He's worthy of it. He's consistent with his steadfast love for us and his abundant mercy for us. This is true individually and both corporately. This makes sense in the last two verses. This is the corporate uh, response. Here we see a, a restoration of rights corporate worship. The burnt offerings, the whole burnt offering, the bulls that will be offered. But it should also raise a question in your minds. Like, well, didn't like in verse 16, God just say, I don't delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Yes. <laughs> and that should bring us around for the last time back to the heart of this psalm. Think about this. If sin is essentially various manifestations of our own pride, then our response to God must be devoid of that pride. Rather, like David, our pride needs to be replaced by a genuine humility that recognizes that God is God. This undergirds the entire response in in our restoration back to right relationship with God. It's a humility that we know we have nothing to offer God after we sin. Just one sin is enough for us to deserve death. We have no leverage with God. We can't convince him to cleanse us. And that's why God has no interest in our sacrifices or offerings or whatever good work we can dream up if our hearts are only trying to atone for our sin on our own. That's why penance doesn't work. If we do that, it's just us again trying hard enough to be good enough. That doesn't work. So we can only offer our brokenness in reliance upon God's mercy and God's grace, even as we are confident, listen to this, even as we are confident in the finished work of Jesus who secured it for us. That's that tension of it's been done and we're still being made new. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God desires our humble hearts first and then our obedience. Not attempts at obedience that tries to manipulate God into cleansing us. Does that make sense? Thanks. <laughs> My friends, this is how I think Psalm 51 reorients us back into right relationship with God in the aftermath of sin. It, it shows us that restoration to right relationship to God includes trusting God to be God, taking sole responsibility for our sin, Relying on God alone to cleanse us and sharing with others God's good character. All of that issuing from a heart that is genuinely humble. So, as our pride starts to well up, as we sin, which is going to happen again today, (laughs) as we sin, 
let's join the countless other generations of Christians who have turned to Psalm 51 to be reoriented and guided back in the aftermath of sin. Read it. Pray it. Meditate on it. This can be your language, Psalm 51. And then rejoice over the greatness of our Savior, Jesus, who provides for us this true restoration. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your love for us that you don't leave us in our sin. You could. There's nothing external to you that says that you must act in that way, but you decided in your grace and your love for us to act, to not leave us there, to send us your son to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be in right relationship with you again. And so, God, I, I pray that as we sin, that your Holy Spirit would continue his work of convicting us of that sin. Would you give us that grace? Continue to, to convict us, and then would you give us humility to recognize the pride in our own hearts and to turn to you and ask for your forgiveness to cleanse us. And then I pray it doesn't stop there. I pray that your spirit would then give us the confidence and, and the sheer joy of knowing that Jesus has secured this for us. God, I thank you that you've even, you've even preserved these words in Psalm 51 for millennia. <laughs> for generations of your people to read, to be comforted and encouraged and guided and reoriented by. So thank you for your grace and all that. We are dependent upon you for all of these things. Thank you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.